0: Something that's recently inspired me a lot I was doing Tai Chi for quite a bit and that's working with energies and when you're working with your body and your movement and your energy you start to visualise that I remind myself to remain open and, and to embrace what is, comes for the day. People I meet, things like that. That to me um, becomes uh, almost like a geometric, energetic shape, and I uh, and that's what I'm sculpting a lot these days. These kind of a pretty <laughs> sounds a bit new age, but that 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 feeling, those those uh, images, interpreting what I feel or hear into form.
1: Hi, this is Materially Speaking, where artists tell their stories through the materials they choose. In this series we're talking to artists in a community in northern Italy who carve marble. They're here not only because of the range of marble, but also to work with the exceptionally skilled artisans. We're 30 miles north of Pisa and 15 miles south of the marble mountains of Carrara, two miles inland from the Versilia coastline whose beaches, in summer, are packed with colourful umbrellas. We're near a town called Pietrasanta, nicknamed Little Athens because of its tradition for carving marble. Today, I'm talking to Jake Cartwright, an Australian artist who comes from a family of sculptors who recently had a family show at Australia House in London. As well as being an artist, Jake is also a talented musician and composes for film, dance and theatre. I caught up with him at his studios in La Polveriera, one of the last remaining studios in the centre of Pietra Santa. Behind the large metal gates were a number of workspaces, some indoors, some outside in the yard, under roofing made from corrugated iron. Jake's studio is inside, and there's a deep, comfy sofa, a small desk, and a large range of hand tools. His abstract sculptures, in wood, marble, and other stone, are mounted on stands around us.
0: My name is Jacob Lucius Cartwright. I'm Australian. I've been living in Italy for the last 10 years and I've been sculpting here in Santa in this studio particularly for the last two years, La Polveriera, but coming to Pietra Santa for a long time.
1: So this series of Embrace, are you doing work in wood? And if so, how do you make those choices?
0: Yeah, doing them both, definitely. But more so in marble, this particular series. But at the same time, when I was in Norway, I did sculpt a piece that was definitely a part of this Embrace series and, in fact, has inspired other pieces in marble when I came back. Like this piece I just finished recently in the corner there.
1: Brilliant. I love I love uh, the Embrace. So I think you've said before that the Embrace is as, it's like embracing the future as much as a person, is that? That's right, yeah. yeah. So it's a state of being.
0: Yes, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, just life in general. Absolutely.
1: So if you don't mind me, I actually don't know how old you are, Jake.
0: I'm 39, 37. <laughs> <laughs> 37, really.
1: <laughs> so where, where were you born?
0: I was born in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. And your
1: parents were artists? Were your grandparents artists?
0: My, yes, yeah. Both of my grandfathers were uh, are artists. One was and one still is. What sort of training did you choose? I come from the background of music actually, apart from the fact that my whole family is sculptors. Uh, When I was nine I started playing the clarinet and from there went to lots of different arts academies for sound and for composition. That's my background. So I've come back, done the full circle from my parents as sculptors all the way back to being a sculptor again but via that voyage of sound. So for me that's a big influence. That can be emotive um, descriptions of of sound, or it can be even to the point that a a sculpture might make a sound, so sound sculpture or sound installations.
1: So what was your movement? Uh, You went to normal school?
0: I went to the Victorian College of the Arts at 12, which was a a music academy on a tertiary campus. And then at 15, went to the States on a um, scholarship to the Interlochen Arts Academy for composition writing music and then uh, went back to the Victorian College of the Arts but in the tertiary studies at 16 for composition again and then did a a sound engineering course so I was very much studied in sound but at the same time my whole family being artists I was doing that the entire time as well but not with the same focus as I had for music and composition but the last 10-15 years I've been moving back more and more into the visuals and it's actually now more weighted towards that than sound
1: so you left Australia when you were 22?
0: Yeah, 22, I was very much into writing experimental electronic music. And uh, I left because i just finished a long-term relationship and I felt like it was the right timing to go back out into the world And because I'd done quite a bit of traveling earlier in my life and I thought it was a good opportunity to do it on my own.
1: And, and then where does Italy come into the picture?
0: Yeah, so on the way through to London, I stayed six months in Italy and met some great people and one of which invited me to Madagascar to do this humanitarian aid job. I was there recording local musicians for the documentary they were putting together about the work they were doing. It was an amazing experience and I travelled around for a month with Jacqueline, my wife, and that's how we kind of fell for each other. I think I fell for her more than, than she did. <laughs> and then uh, the reason why I came back to Italy is because she's from Italy. Well, she's actually Capoverdian, but has been living in Italy for the last 30 years. So I came back to be with her. That's my my reason for being here, actually. That's
1: yeah. lovely. Yeah. So you, uh, you come back to the Pietro Santa area. Mm-hmm. And uh, where do you pitch yourself to work at that point?
0: I have a studio, it's called La Polveriera, which is actually one of the last remaining large studios in the centre of Santa. It was run by Cervietti, who's one of the most famous artisans of this area. I work here in this space. There's eight artists altogether. It's more of a cooperative.
1: And what what's it mean to you, Polveriera? How how does that support
0: your work? Apart from the fact that Santa is the mecca for sculptors, just for the fact that there's everything you could ever need or, or need to know about sculpture here, so all of the materials and everything. But the Polveriera itself... It feels great to walk into. I mean, it's a beautiful place, not for the fact that it's beautifully arranged or anything, but just for the fact that there's been creators here for 200 years or 100 years at least. And I think it leaves a dust behind or some kind of energy. So for me, it really gives me a lot of inspiration. I just feel at home here. And then there's also the people, my colleagues there. It's a wonderful group of artists and uh, we're all very supportive of one another. And I don't know if it's rare, but... Uh, I feel very lucky at least to have such a supportive network of people. Lots of cultural exchange, really good ideas and great discussions and dreams that get, you know, thought about and everyone supports one another in their dreams. It's really lovely.
1: And what about the resources of the area?
0: Wow, they're incomparable. I mean, there's just so much here. There's the Carrara just around the corner and there's the Henro quarries just a, you know, 10 minute drive away. So you have all the marble you could ever need and not just Italian marble, but marble from all around the world for the fact that there's such skilled artisans here that marble comes from everywhere to be worked upon by these people. So everything you could ever imagine in terms of um, material is available. And then the, some of the best tool makers are still here. Some, a lot of them have closed, but there are still some amazing tool makers so you can find everything you could ever need. And then just more than anything, it's the, I guess the history of Pietro Santos meant that there's a beautiful relationship that's been built between artisans and artists so you have this immense wealth of information here if you if you need to find something out you'll find out and you'll do so by meeting lots of cool people
1: (laughs) how do the mountains and the sea and the nature of this bit of italy inspire your work
0: when i go and sit by the sea or when i go and sit by a river the rivers are spectacular and these mountains they're amazing it balances me so i think More than anything, it's about maintaining my capacity to be present and they definitely are influential. The nature around here is spectacular.
1: Do you do shows or do you work towards a body of work?
0: Yeah, definitely work towards a body of work. Um, It's hard to say chicken or the egg. Sometimes I'll just be working for the sake of working and following a theme or following something that intrigues me and that I need to explore. At the same time, like at the moment, I'm planning for an exhibition that's going to incorporate these pieces that are free but also uh, more conceptual work, and that's more of a plan for exhibition and it's outlining something specific. So both, both ways, definitely.
1: And do you do commissions?
0: I do, I do commissions. Um, I find commissions really challenging Uh, why why (laughs) well because often a commission comes from someone else's inspiration and it's your interpretation of that I mean sculpting in the first place I think you're often in a battle within your mind about trying not to think of an audience but trying to be as honest as you can to yourself so that's complicated as it is once you add someone else into the mix then it can become even more so because you actually do have to think of the audience But then again, you have to realize that they've chosen you because they trust you as an artist. So there's all of those things to consider or try not to consider (laughs) while working. (laughs) And uh, then again, sometimes people will do something like ask a piece to be done in another material. And that means you're copying yourself. And that's really interesting too, because, well, you start looking at the piece objectively and it almost doesn't become yours anymore and you're copying it. And you're trying to find the same magic that you felt while doing it in a free process, and you start to realise that there's all these really intricate things that you didn't even realise you'd done, and to try and catch up with that again is interesting. There is one way of copying a piece, which is using a very technical method, which I just refuse to do because it's too technical. So it's all by is that, eye. Is that
1: points or,
0: or yeah. robot? Yeah, they're all robot or points, yeah. And at the moment I'm not really even haven't even experimented with robot on or not. And I can't say for sure that it's something that I um I don't know what I feel about the robot yet. I have some ideas of how to use it which could be fun. But the pointing thing is it's very laborious and it's a technician's job and I'm not a technician.
1: I'm back with uh, Jake Cartwright and his studios. What are you working on today? We're outside.
0: Well, it's a beautiful piece of stone. It's a Carrara ordinario. I'm working on it by hand, the old school methods like Michelangelo used to do. So no power tools at all on this piece. The piece is, I guess the object is turning into something that seems a bit like a a reclining figure, female reclining figure. But it could also be a bird. (laughs)
1: And why have you started working in hand again?
0: Just recently, there's been a whole lot of health and safety regulation things. So there's been a lot of studios closing down in Santa because of the big fines in regards to how we're looking after our dust. So, so I've stopped working with any kind of machines that create dust. I just thought I'd roll with the punch <laughs> and start sculpting by hand. I had a good think about it and well, it's almost like a moment of inspiration. It's like, Why not just learn to sculpt by hand so that I can... Uh, work almost as fast as I would with big tools.
1: It's a funny kind of end to a technology trajectory we were talking about earlier,
0: <laughs> last time we met. Things change, I'm embracing it. For me, it's become much more uh, meditative, the process. I'm finding it is actually influencing all parts of my life just by being able to be peaceful for eight hours a day. Yeah, it's beautiful actually.
1: I was going to ask you how you go about choosing a bit of stone or whether a piece of stone chooses you.
0: Sometimes it could be that a piece of stone talks to me.
1: How does that feel?
0: I guess the material itself gives me inspiration for a piece or it's just is a beautiful looking piece of stone and I want to get my hands into it and get dirty you know but then again there'll be sometimes a concept or perhaps development from a past piece and i want to experiment with the form that i'd found and it requires something i think some forms require some different kinds of material like i mean a very clean controlled form with beautiful lines well, could often uh, need something like a white statuary or, or something like this. But then again, a form that is, feels more, I don't know, earthy and is expressing something ancient, then perhaps something more like a marquina from Spain would be more appropriate because it's got all these beautiful fractures and different discolorations that kind of speak more of the earth.
1: I don't know that. What's it called? marquina
0: Marquinha. Or hmm. Marquina, depends who you speak to, but they're different names. But um, it's black and it has uh, a lot of fossils in it. So, white fossils, usually of shells. And uh, then it also has white veins running through that as well. And sometimes small fissures and cracks that don't affect the quality of the stone, but just give it that kind of uh, rustic feeling. I don't know, more earthy. It's a more earthy feeling.
1: It's really interesting. So do you tend to, if it's not a commission, if you're making pieces, do you make them in something else and then carve them in stone? Do you start straight on the stone?
0: Yeah, I work directly. And sometimes I'll start with something in my mind's eye. And occasionally that piece that I've seen in my mind's eye will come out as I'd thought of it being in the first place. But often the process of actually working on a piece, you'll discover things that you hadn't anticipated There could be problems with the idea that don't translate into a three-dimensional form as well as you'd thought, or it could be that you get this beautiful opportunity to express something new that you would have never found. And if I didn't have that flexibility or freedom, then uh, I wouldn't find these beautiful new directions that in fact usually inspire the next piece.
1: What about other materials? Mm,
0: I love wood. It's incredible how it gives you a different process. Yeah, The the material definitely, especially if you're working uh, in a direct way, the material really counts for something in terms of how you create and what forms come from it. Because wood has got an obvious grain to it; they're fibres, and you have to—you don't have to—but it's fun to work with those, and it becomes more fluid if you work with them and, and understand how things can split or break. And uh, it's much faster than stone; it requires a different kind of energy because stone is so demanding of time and focus and physicality and wood is like that but to a much lesser degree and it um, can be much faster and therefore more fluid and because of that different forms come from it, for me anyway. Wood's a beautiful material, love it and I also like to burn it and cover parts with nails so there's all these different textures. Yeah, wood's beautiful for texture, that's for certain.
1: So can you uh, talk through a little bit this series you showed me you did in
0: Norway. Yeah, sure. I got invited to this symposium. It's a biannual symposium has been going for 20 years and it's uh, been run by an amazing man who more or less came to this area, Petra Santa and Carrara, fell in love with the energy here and wanted to bring that home somehow. And he's a sculptor himself. So he started this symposium. So there's been artists coming from this part of the world to Norway to this place called Oz, which is just near Bergen. Yeah, and it was an amazing experience. I love Norway. Oh my gosh, Norway is visually spectacular. So we were right on the coast, on the um, fjords. But I, I was invited there because this year they had decided to diversify the medium. So this year, for the first time, they were working with wood. So I was asked to come and work with wood. And we had these big, huge blocks and the chainsaws and everything going and working like crazy. But I managed to get two big pieces made there and inspired by this piece, which I did two years ago, and it's been sitting there. It's a beautiful piece. And I've just been wondering what is the next extension of that? What are the new pieces? And so did two pieces related to that.
1: So can you describe them? Because we haven't got picture.
0: How can I describe? Well, the piece that it's inspired by the main like the roots of this series is a piece which is it's a big trunk that has been carved There's a hole that goes straight through the trunk. It's almost like a vortex, this hole. And to me, it represents our place in the universe. And it also looks almost like a womb because it's not a complete circle. It's divided at one end, which almost looks like the umbilical cord or something like that. So for me, it kind of represents our natural state of comfort in our world, almost like the way we felt when we were in the womb. A lot of my work actually has something to do with how we relate to our life or my philosophy at the moment of how to live. And that was what that was about. The other pieces that I did there were variations on that theme. One is linking the two themes that I'm working on at the moment. So there was that symbology of the womb and feeling at, at one with, with our surroundings. And then uh, also the embrace, the, the resonance that comes from your person when you are open and receiving. So it's almost like two arms, but these arms are almost like large dishes or something. that makes sense
1: it does and then the coloring on them you said um you burnt them how did the burning process come about
0: I think I just wanted to experiment with colors. You know, I at one point was looking into stains and how stains work, and I wanted a dark piece. So I tried burning it, and it was amazing what came from that because then you, you know, you experiment with these things. And I started once I burnt it or charred it with a blowtorch. I then got the oils in and smudged around all of the charcoal, and then I realized that the charcoal was becoming almost like an oil paint in itself, you know. And then what that did is it softened all of the textures because I often leave rough. Chisel marks because I love that texture. And then burning that softened all of those off. And then it also takes away the, the softest material in between the, the fibers. So you get these beautiful grains that become more prominent because the softer wood deteriorates and hardwood remains and it's uh, actually a process that has been happening for thousands of years so, so the oldest wooden structure still standing is 1400 years old and it's a temple in Japan that is the process that they were using at that time i think they still do we're burning it and yeah they would burn it and then they would uh, oil it
1: wow mm. and what about choices of wood and supply of wood presumably in norway you got pine
0: yeah, in Norway we had a type of pine and it was uh, laminated. Wood's interesting because, I mean, you can, you can use a big trunk of a tree, but what will often happen is that it will move, so it will get cracking and opening and closing and depending on the temperature and humidity. But if it's laminated wood, so wood that's been sliced and then stuck back together, then that prevents all of that. So in Norway we were given these huge blocks of laminated pine and uh, fur.
1: Yeah. How long does wood last or when do you start getting problems?
0: That's something that collectors need to decide about how they go about looking after a work. It's probably more advised to have somebody look after pieces. For example, marble, if it's outside, should be looked after once a year. If it's inside, then it's much less than that. And that would be the same case for wood. I mean, wood going outside, you're going to have a limited lifespan. If it's burnt, then it can last a lot longer. If I was to show in Asia, somewhere like uh, Hong Kong, for example, uh, they're much more uh, inclined to be interested in stone than in wood just for the fact that humidity in places like that can be more problematic for a material like wood
1: how does the context of where the piece is going to live affect how you create it do you do you know where these pieces are going to go
0: that's a beautiful question i like the fact that you said where it's going to live because it's true i think a piece is not really finished until it's got a home you know and it's living with people but um how does it affect by the way it depends i mean if it is a a commission then of course it affects the way i'm thinking about it i think sometimes it becomes apparent while i'm making it where a piece like this would be beautifully set you know but apart from that i don't really let that affect the creative process too much
1: what is your opinion about us using resources marble and wood and the the discussions about the finiteness of the quarries
0: mm. <laughs> I'm in two minds about these things. I mean, I, I think it's a real shame that these quarries are being used mostly for large-scale architectural projects like malls and things, and they've used just because it's in at the moment to use something like a statuario, which is for hundreds of years been reserved for figurative sculpture because it's the only stone that. Really allows a sculptor to represent somebody and not be uh, worried about a blemish in the stone affecting the way that the face looks or the expression or something like that. And it's really hard to come by because you have these huge walls of marble and you, it's not like there's one quarry that has statuario. There's a massive wall of white marble with veining going through the entire thing or clouding and different densities and things like that. And there's these tiny pockets in this massive wall of pure white of a certain density. And uh, that's statuario. And they cut those little blocks out, it could be a very small to a medium. It's very difficult to get large blocks of it. And it was, until now, reserved just for the sculptors. But now is being sliced up, sliced and diced, and sent off to put in bathrooms and stuff. And that's a very limited resource. So. I just think it needs to be managed a bit better. I mean, I'm not a quarry owner, but from my perspective, what I see, I think using resources to be turned into beautiful objects that remind people about life or the beauty around us, then I think that's a valid use of a limited resource.
1: So what would you say influences your work? What inspires you as an artist? It's
0: a good question (laughs) because a lot of things inspire me seems like at the moment the thing that's inspiring me most is uh my approach to life. My wife Jacqueline gave me a hug a few months ago, and um I think because of my history with music, when I was improvising, I would see what I would hear I'd hear something and I'd see it in my mind. It has three dimensions and mm. colors and things and uh I think that translates I've noticed that if you're aware of it, you can pick up these images from other things. so when my wife gave me a hug, I saw a certain form and that's turned into a piece now and uh it's becoming a series of work about the embrace and the embrace is a paradox you know you giving and receiving at the same time it's like two things at once and everything at once
1: So thanks to Jake Cartwright. You can see his work on his website at jacobcartwright.com and follow him on Instagram at jacobcartwrightartist. For photographs of all the work discussed in this series, check out our Instagram or our website materiallyspeaking.com. And don't forget to join the mailing list to hear about upcoming episodes.